Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. We're so far away and yet so close here today on Campfire Classics. <laughs> that, that was a really good song. I wish there had been a little bit more rhyming. Um, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I don't rhyme at nine in the morning. <laughs> It's not okay. No, it's ten. No. I, it's sorry. Ten o'clock it's in the ten morning. o'clock in the morning. I don't rhyme at ten. I have not finished this cup of coffee. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Fair so play. we are uh, we are doing our very first uh, remote recording. So welcome everybody. Yeah. This is uh, this will be a little bit of an experiment for us. Uh, it's been oh what four days and several aborted attempts in the making (laughs) (laughs) i got a new computer because my computer was so old it didn't recognize technology anymore like (laughs) that seems about right honestly like that's on brand for me (laughs) because ken always does all the technical stuff and the sound stuff and everything and my computer literally i plugged in every microphone we had and it's like i do not recognize There was nothing yeah. I could do. And then it, I... It yeah. was exciting. But here so we, we are. Were experiencing, we were experiencing some technical difficulties. And if they continue or um, rear their ugly heads again, don't worry. We have backup plans. We you do. will not be missing. You will not be missing a week of story time. Absolutely It might not. just come to you in a new and different way. Yeah. We're looking to have some guests, guest hosts. That's a hard thing to say. Guest, Guest hosts. hosts. <laughs> Guest hosts. <laughs> ghosts. Ghosts. Some ghosts. We're going to have some ghosts. We're looking to have some ghosts. We're there looking, will be some ghost recordings. We would like to have on some ghosts on our, on our podcast. Yes. That would be fun. There is apparently a haunted... Oh, yeah. So I'm in West Virginia. I just wrapped up my first week of rehearsals for Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Uh, it's actually going way better than it has any right to um but speaking of ghosts the general lewis inn yes uh is a sort of bed and breakfast and restaurant that apparently does a killer brunch that's just down the street from my housing and um reportedly at least one of the rooms that you can stay in is haunted if i opened a hotel i mean we've talked about this like uh uh like when we read vampire maid uh I would absolutely like want a a, a vamp. I would want a ghost so I could charge more for the hotel because people will pay good money to stay at the haunted hotel. But yeah, so Ken's in West Virginia. I'm in Iowa for, I leave tomorrow to start a road trip to um, the exciting locations of New Jersey, Virginia, and West Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. They're exciting because of the people in them. I <laughs> so, I would argue that are you gonna are you gonna defend New Jersey right now? Because I I love um, you. Are you saying if I defend New Jersey, you might not anymore? Well, no. Of course. <laughs> I just am like really because like now, I was I was not going to say that any of those places are inherently good. However, I would say that New Jersey 
can be very exciting oh. for better or worse. Oh, always Virginia exciting. can be very exciting for better or worse. Virginia. And I have found West Virginia to be at least beautiful. Well, I will say uh, uh, Richmond. I'm very excited because I'm going to be in Richmond for two nights and I plan on going down to where they just tore down the Confederate statue of... Lee. Lots of excitement. And I'm so excited to like go down to that statue and like see see it gone. Yeah, you can you can go pee on the absent monument. <laughs> um I think a man should do that because if I try and pee on the absent monument, I'm definitely gonna get a public indecency ticket. Men can be a little more discreet. Just wear a skirt. And just let it trickle down my legs. <laughs> well, no, take a nice wide stance. Oh my God. I'm just doing yoga, officer. Sorry. <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> oh, my God. No, well, the monument's not there anymore, so it's just the stand, and the stand is very pretty. Um, my friend who's from there... Okay, so actually, the woman I'm visiting in New Jersey is from Richmond. What she was saying is they are beautiful statues, so what she's hoping is they hire someone to do some amazing sculpture work for actual heroes and places them on those pedestals. So like, like we have repurposing, yeah, repurposing, like have a Martin Luther King statue and like have like a Harriet Tubman statue and like have the, the row that used to be Confederacy row and repurpose it to make it like actual American heroes. G.I. Joe, real American heroes. (laughs) And Captain Planet. Yes. Cool. Great, great, great. Sculptures of G.I. Joe and Captain Planet will be taking the place of Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee. Yeah, you know what? I'm in. I'm into that. I'm super into that. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a promo this week, actually. Oh, that was not a segue. Uh, I was I was trying to find a segue, but like we're talking and we're shooting the shit, and that's what this this podcaster does. So I guess it is its own segue. This is. Uh, Tattoo Podcast, who did our intro last week, has sent... Tattooed Squid. Tattoo Squid Podcast. Um, and I'm going to play it right now. Hey, folks, and welcome to the Tattoo Squid Podcast. I am your host, Dre, here to take you on a deep dive into the second season with interviews with other podcasters. We talk about movies like horror, action, comedy, and all different kinds of other stuff like heavy metal, camping, comic books, board games. All that other stuff that you like to have fun with. Plus, also, you want to follow me? Follow me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube. Yeah, all that other stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, Dre, Dre is a real, like, laid back. And, like, his podcast is quite literally, like, interviewing other podcasters. Um, so his his podcast is an indie podcast to promote other indie podcasts. And I'm like, what a badass. Awesome. Yeah. Love that. Um, and they just shoot the shit. And he's asked us to be guests. And I was like, um, next time we're together, we'll chat about that. And if this keeps working, then we can do it this way. But, yeah, uh, yeah so he wants us to be guests. But he's had a lot of our friends on that we have done promos for and um it's very fun and like it really is just a it's a it's a chat podcast so if you like things Sweet. like um the view minus the drama that's that's, that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> or like if you like the late show with Stephen Colbert like it's it's that it's the interview segments so it's just just shooting the shit and talking about life so that's awesome and yes we'd we'd love to come on and chat with you on tattoo squid 
maybe we'll even just try to double dip and, you know, I'll come on one week and Heather will come on another week. Ooh, I bet he'd be down for that. And then we can tell our deepest, darkest secrets. (laughs) That will then yeah. be broadcast across the internet. So. Yeah, we'll we'll start talking about each other behind <laughs> each other's backs, and that definitely won't get weird, <laughs> awkward, or uncomfortable for anyone. No, of course not. Um, but yeah, go check out Dre on Tattoo Squid podcast. So that's what he does. Mm-hmm. So how about if we move on to doing what we do now that we're a few minutes in and have um, bored our new listeners out of this podcast? I don't know. I think the beginning of this was pretty interesting because we were like explaining technology. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was a real, real, real attention, real attention grabbing first nine minutes or so of this episode it's 10 25 um, <laughs> i'm drinking coffee have you had your coffee yet <laughs> for our new listeners because if we're doing our job right every episode is somebody somebody's first episode Hello. and if i'm speaking right i know how to say that thing that i've said in like 50 of our episodes so far it's morning uh, it's morning what what we do is take turns cold reading short stories that were written usually a really long time ago because if they were written long enough ago the author is dead and won't sue us yay not getting sued along the way we will look up words that we don't know and make fun of accidental antiquated penis jokes <laughs> yeah. uh, um my this- parents friends who are good friends of mine as well uh i'm gonna give a shout out to them pete and sudi uh they told me they listened to the podcast and they were like we love it so much heather you have a potty mouth <laughs> 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 but they're like we love it anyway i'm like well good <laughs> thanks for listening yes penis jokes and swear words thanks for listening <laughs> uh so, uh, this week it is, it has fallen upon my shoulders to choose the reading material, but before we get to that, uh, we're going to go ahead and give you just a little bit of background, because as long as we're being um, filthy and entertaining <laughs> on the absolute basis level, we may as well try to educate you at least just a tiny bit first. Yeah. Back in January, we read two short stories by American author, playwright, and Broadway actor L. Frank Baum. Okay. I talked a bit about his life then, and if you want to hear about his failed time in a military academy and his theater burning down, ironically, during a play about Strike Anywhere Matches, you can go (laughs) listen... To episode 31 of this podcast, which was titled Acetone High on the Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> yeah. This week, we're coming back to him because I wanted something silly and childish. Yeah, I love it. So, <clears throat> uh, continuing the fun facts where we left off. While working in the theater... Uh, Baum married a woman named Maud Gage. Maud was the daughter of a famous suffragette who moved in with the new couple when they moved to South Dakota in the late 1880s. Oh no, South Dakota. What are they yeah. doing out there? Uh, while there, Baum opened up a shop called Baum's Bazaar. It was a sort of it's like uh, um, Tchotchke's uh. general store. And it turns out that Baum was a terrible businessman because he just gave people stuff on credit or because he liked them and then never 
collected and the business went bankrupt very quickly. Oh, see, that's why I can't own a business. I'm this, I am the absolute same way. I'd be like, no, go ahead and take it. You know, pay me when you can. Uh, So he left that and became the editor of the local newspaper. And a few years later, the newspaper also went bankrupt. (laughs) So then he wrote The Wizard of Oz. Uh, we're still 10 years away from that, actually. Oh, wow. Um, in 1891, he, Maud, and their four sons moved to Humboldt Park in Chicago, uh, and there, Baum took a job reporting for the Evening Post. Uh, he also, to supplement his income, had to work as a traveling salesman. Oh, my God. So, I'm just going to point out the irony that he married a famous suffragette's daughter and they had four sons. Yeah. (laughs) In 1900, at 45 years old, he finally published what would become his most famous work, The Wizard of Oz. Yay! See, life is not over at 40, (laughs) y'all. Nah, nah, 45. He finally really cracked it. after. After several failed businesses. Like epically failed businesses, <laughs> yeah. Um, between a burned-down theater, a bankrupt <laughs> shop, and a ruined newspaper. Yeah. Finally, at 45, <laughs> he gets around to publishing the book that makes him famous, The Wizard Yay. of Oz. Now, one of the biggest criticisms of the book, The Wizard of Oz, okay. is that his description of Kansas is um, inauthentic and not very accurate. Okay. There's a reason for this. He based Kansas from The Wizard of Oz on his time in South Dakota. I figured. So there's like mountains and shit. <laughs> yeah, like they're two different states. They're, well, they're, I, very, they're close to each other. I but guess it depends on where they were. but Depends depends on where you are. Yeah. yeah. But either way, they're both very, um, at least at the time, were very empty. <laughs> yeah. Lots of nothing. Yeah. Still lots of nothing. I'm interested. I wonder why he chose Kansas, even though he could have just said it in South Dakota. <laughs> I guess Kansas is more like middle America, so it'd be more, uh, it's more uh, all American, like farm, yeah. farmland kind of place. I wonder if there's no, a I reason. I think, isn't, isn't Kansas where the geographic center yes. of America is? Yes. It's so the center. It is, it is literally the America's heartland. Like it's the, yeah. the center. Uh, so regardless, despite his um, horribly inaccurate description of the, <laughs> the main real life setting of his book. Uh, the book was a huge success and he went on to publish 13 more novels set in and around the land of Oz. We have them all downstairs. I grew <laughs> up with these beautiful leather bound copies of them and reading them. So yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe one of these days when we decide to do a long form book, we'll, we'll do a couple of those. Yeah. Um, much like Other popular writers like Doyle and LeBlanc, uh, he often claimed loudly that he would never write another Oz book. Just like Doyle often said, I'm never going to write another Sherlock Holmes. And LeBlanc said, I'm never going to write another Lupin. You know, it's funny to me, and but I understand it as an actor, because like if you get typecast as like the dumb girl next door or like the the bad guy like i've heard actors like i've never been stuck in like a hole like that in in a situation but i know actors that do like famous actors yeah and they end up turning down roles because they don't want to get like 
they don't want to get pigeonholed into this like this is all I can do. Um, And even though it's going to make them more money, it's like, I have enough money at this point. Now I'd like to do something else. So I get, I get it from an artist standpoint, but like, I also am like, you know what? Work, work begets work and um, money is money (laughs) and you're bringing joy to people. So yeah. Um, now, fortunately for his family, when those dollar dollar bills started calling, he would write another Oz book and publish it and it would get great critical and public acclaim. Uh, everybody loved those books. Of course. Um, on May 5th, 1919, Baum suffered a stroke, slipped into a coma and died the following day at the age of 62. Oh, he was young. His last words were spoken to his wife during a brief period of lucidity. He said, now we can cross the shifting sands. His final Oz book, Glinda of Oz, was published on July 10th, 1920, a year after his death. The Oz series was continued long after his death by other authors, notably... Uh, Ruth Plumley Thompson, who wrote an additional 21 Oz books. Oh, shit. She actually wrote more Oz books than he did. He did. Yep. Well, and then there was the now the adaptions like Wicked. Um, yeah. And like the takes on them, like wi- The Wiz. Um, yep. Yeah. Wow. My great grandmother, who I knew quite well, she passed away when I was in college. She was 19 when he died. I just put, so she was probably reading the Oz books as they were coming out. As they were coming out. That's really cool. 19 when you died, which means she was born the same year Wizard of Oz was published. Yeah, she was born 1900. Yeah. Yeah. She was born the same year Wizard of Oz was published. Oh, my grandma's, my great grandma was Dorothy. Uh, But today we're not reading Oz. Today we are going back to his American Fairy Tales collection, published in 1901, the year after Oz catapulted him into the public eye. And you will be reading two more short stories, The Queen of Quok and The Girl Who Owned a Bear. I want to own a bear. (laughs) Is this story about me? It's me in the Uh, future. I, I don't know. I haven't done enough research to Maybe know if it's, it's my about pa- you. It's that, my past life. <laughs> that would surprise me a little bit, but... <laughs> All right. We shall see. So let's start this let's fire. Start a fire. The Queen of Quok by Frank L. Baum. A king... Be L. Frank Baum. Oh, fucking... See, that's what I had to happen. It's not on here. <laughs> L. Frank bomb because if you will remember from ago, uh, his first name was actually Lyman. Lyman, that's it. right. Yeah, yep. I was like, ew. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, we'll do that again. <laughs> this is going well. The Queen of Quok by L. Frank bomb A king once died, as kings are apt to do, being as liable to shortness of breath as other mortals. What's an uplifting beginning? (laughs) So, kings die too. Yep. It was high time this king abandoned his earth life, for he had lived in a sadly extravagant manner, and his subjects could spare him without the slightest inconvenience. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) 
okay, so this is uh, like Bar- Baratheon. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yep. eh, yeah, It was time for him to go. Yeah. His father had left him a full treasury, both money and jewels being in abundance. But the foolish king, just deceased, had squandered every penny in riotous living. He had then taxed his subjects until most of them became paupers, and this money vanished into more righteous living. Next, he sold all the grand old furniture in the palace, all the silver and gold plate and bric-a-brac, all the rich carpets and furnishing, and even his own kingly wardrobe, reserved only a soiled and moth-eaten ermine robe to fold over his threadbare raiment. I'm guessing that means body. <laughs> Raiment? Uh, I believe it's um, uh, clothes. Yeah. Raiment, R-A-I-M-E-N-T, yep. is uh, archaic for clothing. Oh, fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Today I'm going to get dressed in my raiment. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, the, the sample sentence is, Ladies clothed in raiment, bedecked with jewels. Ooh, fancy. Well, he yeah. is not bedecked in jewels because apparently he squandered them and fucked everybody over. Yep, I did not realize that this first sh- short story was going to hit quite so close to home. <laughs> with the leader of the government squandering all of the nation's fortune. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He spent the money in further riotous living. Don't ask me to explain what riotous living is. (laughs) (laughs) Prostitutes. That's what he means. I only know from hearsay that it is. Yes, but it's a children's story, so he can't say prostitutes. Exactly. That's why he said, don't ask me to explain it. Your parents will explain it to you in a few years (laughs) or you'll figure it out. Parents, if your children know what riotous living is, they didn't hear it from me first. You clearly have HBO. (laughs) Uh, I only know from hearsay that it is an excellent way to get rid of money. And so this spendthrift king found it. He now picked all the magnificent jewels from his kingly crown and from the round ball on the top of his scepter. I'm glad it was the top of his scepter and not, and he not wasn't the base. selling like <laughs> that's that's a whole that's a whole new level of poor and, and struggle. He descended into his own form of riotousness <laughs> by selling the balls at the base of his scepter. <laughs> Damn, that that's going. That's that's that isn't a gambling addiction. He needs one eight hundred gambling or whatever is the, the thing that people have to call. There used to be commercials for it, like in the eighties or nineties. It was like, do you have a gambling addiction? La la la. la. Call one eight hundred gambling. We swear we won't ask you for money. <laughs> yeah, right. Wink. And he sold them and spent the money. So he sold his balls. Riotous living, of course. But at last, he was at the end of his resources. He couldn't sell the crown itself because no one but the king had the right to wear it. Neither could he sell the royal palace because only the king had the right to live there. So finally, he found himself reduced to a bare palace containing only a big mahogany bedstead that he slept in, a small stool on which he sat to pull off his shoes and the moth-eaten urbine robe. This is like the king that had no clothes. Um, Literally. Yeah. Uh, Well, he doesn't even have, literally, a pot to piss in. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. (laughs) 
He just I'll, he just poops I'll, on the floor now. Yeah. <laughs> he he goes down to the Confederate statues and pees on them. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's he does his desecration yoga. Desecration yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, that's going to be like the new hot thing for rich rich white women. <laughs> Desecration yoga. What a good way to lose weight. You take laxatives and you you start to do yoga. Happy baby. (laughs) Downward dog on the Christopher Columbus monument. (laughs) Right there in uh, Columbus Circle. There's just a bunch of rich white women from the Upper West Side doing downward dog and shitting on it. You know what? Honestly, I'm into it. Whatever. (laughs) Ah, desecration yoga. The new weight loss craze. Oh, guys. Trademark. It is like it it would be nice to simultaneously like this would be, I guess, sort of a woke weight loss craze. Yes. It's it is simultaneously protest and and weight loss. (laughs) No. Trademark, trademark. Um, call us Shark Tank. We're ready. <laughs> we'll figure out the details later. Um, let's see. <laughs> In this strait, he was reduced to the necessity of borrowing an occasional dime from his chief counselor, with which he would buy a ham sandwich. <laughs> it's a cheap-ass ham sandwich if he's only borrowing a dime. Well, I mean, this was a long time ago. <laughs> 1901. Yeah, that's that's a dime was actually like you could probably get a few ham sandwiches, honestly. And the chief counselor hadn't many dimes. One who counseled his king so foolishly was likely to ruin his own prospects as well. That is true. Yep. So the king, having nothing more to live for, died suddenly. <laughs> Fuck it, I give up. He's like, I'm done, and, and like he's just like, all right. He left a 10-year-old son to inherit the dismantled kingdom and moth-eaten robe and the jewel-stripped crown. Rude. Also, where's his wife been the whole time? <laughs> I guess um, he probably sold he's... her. He sold her. <laughs> I, I mean, let's be real. It's also possible that she is going to be the titular queen of Quok. Oh, that could that be. That was not intended to be a tit joke, but as I said, titular. <laughs> But also, maybe this little boy just becomes, yes, queen. Like, <laughs> we're going to find out. Maybe he's that. He's the original. All right. Uh, no one envied the child who had scarcely been thought of until he became king himself. Then he was recognized as a personage of some importance, and the politicians and hangers-on, headed by the chief counselor of the kingdom, held a meeting to determine of what could be done for him. These folks had helped the old king to live riotously while his money lasted, and now they were poor and too proud to work. So they tried to think of a plan that would bring more money into the little king's treasury, where it would be handy for them to help themselves. Oh, these are not good people. These are not. No, this, these are you not need to get people. these fuckers off the small council. <laughs> like, yep. you don't want Littlefinger there. You don't want Varys like, there. You need to get Tyrion up in this bitch because he's going to help you out. Um, yeah. After the meeting was over, the chief counselor came to the young king who was playing peg top in the courtyard. What's peg top? Peg top? Yeah, it's a... Uh, I don't know. I'm nervous to search it. It sounds like a porn thing. <laughs> it does. It's a, don't Google pegging and topping at 
peg top. <laughs> a pear-shaped spinning top with a metal pin or peg forming a point spun by rapidly uncoiling a string round around, wound around it. Oh, it's oh. one of the, those pull yeah. the string tops. Oh, we had one of those um, when I did Three Sisters. <clears throat> Because that's actually mentioned. It, we call it, it was called something else because it was Russian. But like, yeah, we actually Russian had Russians. we had a we had like an antique one in the show that Irina would like play with. Huh, that's cool. All right, peg top. Yep. So the young king I'm is playing. I'm glad that the ten year old king was not pegging in the courtyard. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I I don't know what people get up to in these fairy lands. I don't know. All right, so he's playing peg top in the courtyard, and the chief counselor said, Your majesty, we have thought of a way to restore your kingdom to its former power and magnificence. Prostitution. <laughs> Prostitution. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the chief counselor. All right, replied his majesty carelessly. How will you do it? By marrying you to a lady of great wealth, replied the counselor. He's, He's ten. ten. That's not cool. Marrying me, cried the king. I am only ten years old. See, See he, he knows. knows. And he's only ten. So, <laughs> I know it is to be regretted, but your majesty will grow older, and the affairs of the kingdom demand you to marry a wife. <laughs> Can I marry a mother instead? <laughs> oh no! See, his mother's definitely not there. But you just want a mom. I just want a mom. Asked the poor little king who had lost his mother when a baby. Okay, so she either died in childbirth or the king sold her after she gave birth. Yep. One of the two. Or it was a Henry VIII situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not, declared the counselor. To marry a mother would be illegal. To marry a wife is right and proper, except when you're 10. Let's be real. This ain't yeah. Arkansas, people. <laughs> Although, I suppose, strictly speaking, now that he's king, he can make it legal to marry whoever and whatever he wants. He can, but it doesn't sound like he's super into it. <laughs> no. Can't you marry her yourself, inquired his majesty, aiming his peg top at the chief counselor's toe and laughing to see how he jumped to escape it. <laughs> so he just you shot You don't aim his... pegs at feet. <laughs> it's not how that works. <laughs> well, he's 10. He doesn't know. Let me explain, said the other. You haven't a penny in the world, but you have a kingdom. There are many rich women who would be glad to give their wealth in exchange for a queen's coronet, even if the king is but a child. So we have decided to advertise that the one who bids the highest shall become the queen of Quok. So apparently... So it the, is prostitution. It straight up is prostitution. <laughs> we were not wrong. All right. If I must marry at all, said the king after a moment's thought, I prefer to marry Naya, the the armorer's daughter. Oh, he's got a crush on the armorer's daughter. I get that. She's too poor, replied the counselor. Yeah. Her teeth are pearls, her eyes are amethysts, and her hair is gold, declared Did the king. Did you just give him a lisp? I... Yeah, because I can't say the word amethyst. Amethyst? <laughs> yes, I did that on purpose. I absolutely did that on purpose. <laughs> amaryllis, amaryllis. <clears throat> He's Winthrop. 
<laughs> I definitely did not do that on accident. <laughs> and her hair is gold, declared the little king. True, your majesty, but consider that your wife's wealth must be used. How would Naya look after you, having pulled her teeth of pearls, plucked her amethyst eyes, <laughs> and shaved her golden head? Wait, now, this is going to get confusing. You can't give the counselor a lisp, too. All right, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Plucked out her amethyst... <laughs> amethyst? Yes. Amethyst. That's the one. There Amethyst. Amethyst. How would Naya look after you've plucked out her teeth of pearls, plucked out her amethyst eyes, and shaved her golden head? The boy shuddered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. That's fucking dark as hell. It's gonna look like something from The Grudge. Yeah. <laughs> the boy shuddered. Have your own way, he said disparagingly. Only let the lady be as dainty as possible and a good playfellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wants a friend. We shall do our best, returned the chief counselor, and went away to advise throughout the neighborhood kingdoms for a wife for the boy king of Quok. There were so many applications for the privilege of marrying the little king that it had been decided to put him up at auction. <laughs> oh my god! They're auctioning off a ten-year-old boy! Not cool, y'all. Not cool. <laughs> this, this kingdom is whack. Uh, uh, they put him up at auction in order that the largest possible sum of money should be brought into the kingdom. So on the day appointed, the ladies gathered at the palace from all of the surrounding kingdoms, from Bilkin, Mulgravia, Junkum, and even as far away as the Republic of Macvelt. <laughs> Those are my favorite areas. Yeah. Good vacation properties. Uh, the chief counselor came to the palace early in the morning and had the king's face washed and his hair combed, and then he patted the inside of the crown with old newspapers to make it small enough to fit his majesty's head. Oh, no. It was a sorry-looking crown, having many big and little holes in it where the jewels had once been, and it had been neglected and knocked around until it was quite battered and tarnished. Yet, as the counselor said, it was the king's crown, and and it was quite proper that he should wear it on the solemn occasion of his auction. <laughs> I feel like this is like like uh, what people do. They're like a date. They auction off like date nights with like celebrities. <laughs> this is like, but they're auctioning off a 10-year-old boy to marry. Yeah. Like all boys, be they kings or paupers, his majesty had torn and soiled one suit of clothes so that they were hardly presentable because he played a, he played in them. Yeah. And there was no money to buy new ones. Therefore, the counselor wound the old ermine robe around the king and sat him upon the stool in the middle of the otherwise empty audience chamber. And all around him stood all the courtiers and politicians and hangers-on of the kingdom, <laughs> consisting of such people as were too proud or lazy to work for a living. There was a great number of them, you may be sure, and they made an imposing appearance. Plenty of rich people who don't want to do anything. Yep. 
Then the doors of the audience chamber were thrown open, and the wealthy ladies who aspired to being the queen of quok came trooping in. The king looked them over with much anxiety and decided they were each and all old enough to be his grandmother and ugly enough to scare away the crows from the royal cornfields, <laughs> after which he lost interest in them. <laughs> Ew, oh no. But the rich ladies never looked at the poor little king squatting upon his stool. They gathered at once around the chief counselor who acted as auctioneer. How much am I offered for the cornet of the Queen of Quok? asked the counselor in a loud voice. Where is the coronet? inquired a fussy old lady who had just buried her ninth husband and was mm. worth several millions. That woman definitely kills her husband. Yep, black that, widow. That is a black widow that <laughs> to keep her away. There isn't any coronet at present, explained the chief counselor, but whoever bids the highest will have the right to wear one and she can then buy it. Oh, said the fussy old lady, I see. And then she added, I'll bid $14. (laughs) (laughs) $14,000, cried a sour-looking woman who was thin and tall and had wrinkles all over her skin. Like a frosted apple, the king thought. (laughs) The bidding now came fast and furious, and the poverty-stricken courtiers brightened up as the sum began to mount into the millions. He'll bring us every fortune after all, whispered one of his comrades, and then we shall have the pleasure of helping him spend it. (laughs) Uh, The worst. These people suck. The king began to be anxious. I understand your plight, young man. All the women who looked at all kind-hearted or pleasant had stopped bidding for lack of money, and the slender old dame with the wrinkles seemed determined to get the coronet at any price. And with it, the boy husband. Yeah, it's hard to get rich if you're a nice person. Yeah, exactly. This, this is, I think that might be the moral of the story. This ancient creature finally became so excited that her wig got crosswise on her head and her false teeth kept slipping out, which horrified the great king greatly, but she would not give up. At last, the chief counselor ended the auction by crying out, Sold to Mary Ann Brodzinski de la Porcus for $3,900,624.16. I love that that's her name. (laughs) And the sour-looking old woman paid the money in cash and on the spot, which proves this is a fairy story. That's delightful. I love self-commentary. The king was so disturbed at the thought that he must marry this hideous creature that he began to wail and weep, whereupon the woman boxed his ears soundly. But the counselor reproved her for punishing her future husband in public, saying, You are not married yet. Wait until tomorrow after the wedding takes place. (laughs) Oh, It's cool to be abusive when you're married, but before then, like, come on. Then you can abuse him as much as you wish, but at present... yeah. Yeah, but at present, we prefer to have people think this is a love match. 
Oh, yes. Oh, News yes. for you, dude. You're not fooling anyone. No one is fooled, you fucker. You just had an auction for him. <laughs> the poor king slept but little that night, so filled with his terror of his future wife, nor could he get the idea out of his head that he preferred to marry the armorer's daughter, who was about his own age. He tossed and tumbled around upon his hard bed until the moonlight came in the window and lay like a great sheet upon the bare floor. Finally, in turning over the hundredth time, his hand struck upon a secret spring in the headboard of the big mahogany bed set, and at once, with a sharp click, a panel flew open. The noise caused the king to look up. And seeing the open panel, he stood upon tiptoe, and reaching within, drew out a folded paper. It had several leaves fastened together like a book, and upon the first page was written, When the king is in trouble, this leaf he must double, and set it on fire to obtain his desire. Ooh, magic. Um, magical deus ex machina. All right. (laughs) Cool. This was not very good poetry, but when the king had (laughs) spelled... The rhyme scheme was pretty sucky, but it's magic, it's magic. It ain't no Shakespeare, but magic is magic. There, uh, but when the king had spelled it out in the moonlight, he was filled with joy. There's no doubt about my being in trouble, he exclaimed, so I'll burn it at once and see what happens. He tore off the leaf and put the rest of the book in its secret hiding place. Then, folding the paper double, he placed it on top of his stool, lighted a match, and set fire to it. It made a horrible smudge for so small a paper, and the king sat on the edge of the bed and watched it eagerly. Apparently, L. Frank Baum did not learn anything from the event of burning his theater a- burning <laughs> down. Don't light, don't light paper on fire in the middle of a room on top of a wooden stool. Yeah, maybe that's how the fire started at his theater. He found a little paper that said, burn me for all you desire. And apparently what he desired was for his theater to burn down. Yeah, or it was just a prank. Yeah. Stupid burn me pranks. Stupid, stupid pyromaniac pranks. This is not good. When the smoke cleared away, he was surprised to see, sitting upon the stool, a round little man, who with folded arms and crossed legs sat calmly facing the king and smoking a black briarwood pipe. Well, here I am, he said. So I'm Wilfred Brimley. (laughs) So I see, replied the little king. But how did you get here? Didn't you burn the paper? Demanded the round man by way of answer. Yes, I did, acknowledged the king. Then you are in trouble and I've come to help you out of it. I'm the slave of the royal bedstead. It's like a genie. I think he's the genie of the bed. I'm the I'm the genie of your bed frame. Yeah. I want a genie in my bed frame. That's cool. What? The oh. genie of the headboard. Yeah, you used to have to like pound on the headboard to summon me, but that That didn't work um, out too well. That that created a lot of awkward confusing. situations. So we worked out a new system. We worked out a burning system. Uh, oh, 
said the king. I didn't know there was one. Neither did your father, or he wouldn't have been so foolish as to sell everything he had for money. By the way, it's lucky for you he did not sell this bedstead. Now then, what do you want? <laughs> I, I stand by my choice of this man's voice. Yeah, oh, I love it. I'm not sure what I want, replied the king, but I know what I don't want, and that is the old woman who is going to marry me. Well, that's easy enough, said the slave of the royal bedstead. All you need to do is return her for the money she paid the chief counselor and declare the match off. Don't be afraid. You're the king, and your word is law. <laughs> <laughs> to be sure, said the majesty, but I am in great need of money. How am I going to live if the chief counselor returns to Marianne Brzezinski her millions? Pooh, that's easy enough, answered the young man. He actually just said poo. Again, <laughs> as, answered. As in, as in Winnie the or as in desecration yoga? As in neither. It's P-H-O-O. So oh, it's like so foo. It's, foo. it's foo, but I'm saying poo because it's way more fun. Poo, that's easy enough, answered the, young, the, answered the man. And putting his hand in his pocket, he drew out and tossed the king an old-fashioned leather purse. Keep that with you, he said, and you will always be rich, for you can take out of the purse as many 25-cent silver pieces as you wish, one at a time. No matter how often you take one out, another will instantly appear in its place within the purse. I'm going to get rich a quarter at a time. I want that purse. Yeah. Um, thank you, said the king gratefully. You have rendered me a rare favor, for now I shall have money for all my seeds and will not be obliged to marry anyone. Thank you a thousand times. Don't mention it, answered the other, puffing his pipe slowly and watching the smoke curl into the moonlight. <laughs> Such things are easy to me. Is that all you want? That's all I can think of now, returned the king. Then please close the secret panel in the bedstead, said the man. The other leaves of the book may be used to you sometime. The boy stood upon the bed as before and reaching up, closed the opening so that no one else could discover it. Then he turned his face to his visitor, but the slave of the royal bedstead had disappeared. Yeah. I expected that, said his majesty. <laughs> I think you are this little boy. Um, yet, I am sorry he did not wait to say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when people don't say goodbye. With a lightened heart and a sense of great relief, the boy king placed the leathern purse upon his pillow and climbing into bed again, slept soundly until morning. When the sun rose, his majesty rose also, refreshed and comforted, and the first thing he did was to send for the chief counselor. That mighty personage arrived, looking glum and unhappy, but the boy was too full of his own good fortune to notice it. I'm walking on sunshine. sunshine. Yeah. I'm walking on sunshine. Yeah. I found and a genie in my good. bed. I found a genie in my bed. Woohoo! The mighty personage arrived looking glum and unhappy, but the boy was too full of his own food. Said he, I have decided 
mind not to marry anyone, for I have come into a fortune of my own. Therefore, I command you return to that old woman the money that she paid for the right to wear the coronet of the Queen of Quok, and make public declaration that the wedding will not take place. Hearing this, the counselor began to tremble, for he saw the young king had decided to reign in earnest, and he looked so guilty that his majesty inquired, "'Well, what is the matter now?' "'Sire,' um, replied the wretch in a shaking voice, "'I I cannot return the woman her money, for um, I have lost it.' "'Lost it!' cried the king in a mingled astonishment and anger. "'Even so, your majesty, on my way home from the auction last night, "'I stopped at the drugstore to get some potash lozenges for my throat, "'which was dry and hoarse with so much loud talking. "'And your majesty will admit it was through my efforts "'the woman was induced to pay so great a price. "'Well, going into the drugstore, I carelessly left the package of money "'lying on the seat of my carriage, and when I came out, it was gone.' Nor was the thief anywhere to be seen. Did you oh, call the po- dumb, dumb, yeah, dumb boy? What a f- fucking moron! Did you call the police? Asked the king. Yes, I called, but they were all on the next block, and although they have promised to search for the robber, they have little hope they will ever find him. The king sighed. What shall we do now? He asked. "'I fear you must marry Marianne Brzezinski,' answered the chief counsellor, "'unless, indeed, you order the executioner to cut her head off.'" <laughs> oh, Jesus! Well, we did go Henry VIII real fast. Okay. Wow. Or at least this guy did. Yeah. "'That would be wrong,' declared the king. "'The woman must not be harmed. "'It is just that we return her money, "'for I will not marry her under any circumstances.' "'Is that private fortune you mentioned large enough to repay her?' "'asked the counsellor. "'Why, yes,' said the king thoughtfully. "'But it will take some time to do it, "'and that shall be your task. "'Call the woman here.' The counselor went in search of Marianne, who, when she heard she was not to become queen, but would receive her money back, flew into a violent passion and boxed the chief counselor's ears so viciously that they stung for nearly an hour. This woman is a fighter. (laughs) Yep. She did not take no shit from nobody. No, I mean, she's creepy as hell. I mean, she's a creepy old woman who has killed all her husbands, but what are you going to do? But she followed him into the king's audience chamber where she demanded her money in a loud voice, claiming as well the interest due upon it overnight. So she she put interest on it overnight. That's a crazy bank. Um, The counselor has lost your money, said the boy king, but he shall pay you every penny out of my own private purse. I fear, however, you will be obliged to take it in small change. Millions of dollars paid in quarters. A quarter at a time. That's fucking rude, man. (laughs) That's funny. That will not matter, she said, scowling upon the counselor as if she longed to reach his ears again. I don't care how small the change is so long as every penny that belongs to me and the interest. Where is it? Here, answered the king. 
handing the counselor the leather and purse. It is all in silver quarters, and they must be taken from the purse one at a time, but there will be plenty to pay your demands and more to spare. So, there being no chairs, the counselor sat upon the floor in one corner and began counting out silver 25-cent pieces from the purse, one by one, and the old woman sat upon the floor opposite him and took each piece of money from his hand. It was a large sum, $3,900,624.00. And 16 cents. And it takes four times as many 25 cent pieces as it would dollars to make up the amount. The king left them sitting there and went to school. And often hereafter, he came to the counselor and interrupted him long enough to get the purse what money he needed to reign in a proper and dignified manner. This somewhat delayed the counting, but it was a long job anyway. That did not matter much. (laughs) Oh my God. The king grew to manhood and married the pretty daughter of the armorer. Aww. Yay. And now they have two lovely children of their own. Once in a while, they go into the big audience chamber of the palace and let the little ones watch the... Watch... Oh, no. Once in a while, they go into the big audience chamber of the palace and let the little ones watch the aged hoary-headed counselor count out silver 25-cent pieces to a withered old woman who watched his every movement to see that he does not cheat her. (laughs) It is a big sum, $3,900,624.16 in 25-cent pieces. But... This is how the counselor was punished for being so careless with the woman's money. And this is how Mary Ann Brzezinski de la Porcus was also punished for wishing to marry a 10-year-old king in order that she might wear the coronet of the Queen of Quok. Fuck yeah. The end. (laughs) Poetic justice. Fabulous. (laughs) That's... Amazing. Uh, I'm super into that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's very much a punishment fits the crime situation. Oh, absolutely. That's so funny. He's like, come children, let's go watch the stupid people. <laughs> That's fabulous. All right. So on to the next. Yes. On to the next. The Girl Who Owned a Bear by L. Frank Baum. Yay. Bear. Bear. Mama had gone downtown to shop. She had asked Nora to look after Jane Gladys, and Nora promised she would. But it was her afternoon for polishing the silver, so she stayed in the pantry and left Jane Gladys to amuse herself alone in the big sitting room upstairs. Okay, this is how the other story started. This is, this is how the robbers started. Yes, this is exactly... Like, mom leaves the house, leaves the, like, maid in charge of looking after the little girl, and the little girl, like, like literally uh, unleashes robbers in the house. <laughs> all right, so... Go back and listen to episode 31 if you want to know what that's all about. Yeah, it's pretty freaking hilarious. The little girl did not mind being alone, for she was working on her first piece of embroidery, a sofa pillow for Papa's birthday present. So she crept into the big bay window and curled herself up on the broad sill where she bent her brown head over her work. 
Soon, the door opened and closed again quietly. Jane Gladys thought it was Nora, so she didn't look up until she had taken a couple more stitches on a forget-me-not. No, if the door opens, always look. Yeah. Then she raised her eyes and was astonished to find... Oh, my God. (laughs) And was astonished to find a... uh, Oh, I just lost my place. I got so freaked out. Then she raised her eyes and she was astonished to find a strange man in the middle of the room who regarded nope. her earnestly. Yeah, I'm Nobody, like, no, nope, 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 nope. He was short and fat and seemed to be breathing heavily from his climb of the stairs. He oh, held he's the bear. It's not, this is not a gay man. <laughs> you don't know. I don't know. That is true. That is true. And why does she own him? <laughs> uh, I don't know yet. We yes, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. He was short and fat and seemed to be breathing heavily from his climb up the stairs. He held a work silk hat in one hand and underneath his other elbow was tucked a good-sized book. He was dressed in a black suit and looked old and rather shabby and his head was bald upon the top. Excuse me, he said while the child gazed at him in some solemn surprise. Are you Jane Gladys Brown? Yes, sir. She answered. Oh, very good. Very good indeed, he remarked with a queer sort of smile. I've had quite a hunt to find you, but I've succeeded at last. Is he a private investigator? I don't know. How did you get in, inquired Jane Gladys with a growing distrust in her visitor. Yeah. That is a secret, he said mysteriously. Nope, nope, shoot him in the face. This guy is not good. I don't like it. Don't Not like happy. this man. Stranger danger. Stranger danger. Why are there so many creepy adults hanging out with children in these The stories? children always win, though. <laughs> they do, which is nice. They're way smarter. Like, um, Let's see. This is a, That is a secret. This was enough to put the girl on her guard. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, She's stranger danger. She looked at the man, and the man looked at her, and both looks were grave and somewhat anxious. What do you want? She asked, straightening herself up in a dignified air. Ah, now we are coming to business, said the man briskly. I'm going to be quite frank with you. To begin, your father has abused me in the most ungentlemanly manner. Oh, no. Um, not cool. Jane Gladys got off the windowsill and pointed her small finger at the door. Leave this room immediately, she cried. Her voice, it, it is spelled immediately. <laughs> like instead of immediately. Uh, it's like she doesn't know how to say the word. So. Oh, so she's a little, little one. Leave this room. Oh, I have not made her young. Oh, well, that's okay. That's I'm going to say she's very, so- she's very well spoken except for big words. <laughs> Leave this room immediately, she cried, her voice trembling with indignation. My papa is the best man in the world. He never abused anybody. Allow me to explain, please, said the visitor, without paying any attention to her request to go away. Yeah, I'm going to go with no. Yeah. Your father may be very kind to you, for you are his little girl, you know. But when he's downtown in his office, he's inclined to be rather severe, especially on book agents. Now, I called on him the other day and asked him to buy the complete works of Peter Smith, 
And what do you suppose he did? She said, said nothing. No. <laughs> she, she said nothing. Why, continued the man with growing excitement, he ordered me from his office and had me put out of the building by the janitor. What do you think of such treatment as that from the best papa in the world, eh? Well, I, I think, don't know. I mean, you like to creep in other people's houses. I think yeah. putting you out is a pretty good idea. I think you're an asshole and you should get the fuck out of my house. I think he was quite right, said Jane Gladys. Oh, do you? Well, said the man, I resolve to be revenged for the insult. So, as your father is big and strong and a dangerous man, I have decided to be revenged upon his little girl. F- fucking... Jesus. Okay, this guy's the worst, and I hope he dies. Um, He's gonna get et by a bear. <laughs> something, yeah, something like that. Jane or Gladys into one. Jane Gladys shivered. What are you going to do? She asked. I am going to present you with this book. <laughs> ah, yes, the darkest punishment. <laughs> Reading <A> book. <laughs> what? Oh no. Uh, I am going to present you with this book, he answered, taking it from under his arm. Then he sat down on the edge of the chair, placed his hat on the rug, and drew a fountain pen from his vest pocket. I'll write your name in it, he said. How do you spell Gladys? G-L-A-D-Y-S, she replied. Thank you. (laughs) So basically, his revenge is giving her an autographed copy of his book? (laughs) Maybe? I don't know. We're going to find out. Thank you. Now this, he continued, rising and handing her the book with a bow, is my revenge for your father's treatment of me. Perhaps he'll be sorry, but he didn't buy the complete works of Peter Smith. Goodbye, my dear. (laughs) I'm so confused. I think he just... Gave her a copy of the complete works of Peter Smith, which is his book that his dad didn't want to buy. Right. Um, let's find out. <laughs> that was the that was the least creepy thing he could have done, I think. But also at the same time, the most. <laughs> it, I mean, it was pretty highly like unsettling. he didn't he didn't kidnap her. He didn't like hit her. He didn't do any like he didn't like physically assault this girl to be to revenge he signed a book and gave it to her and now he's gonna leave yeah but this is a fairy tale it's a fairy tale so something something weird the book's probably magical let's be real and it had to have her name in it for it to like do what it's supposed to do or something but dear listener if a stranger ever appears in the middle of your room uh and claims to be taking revenge for some perceived slight, and then does something seemingly harmless but asks for your name, don't give it to them. Just say names, no. <laughs> names hold power in most magical stories. Don't do that shit. Yep, yep. that's real. <laughs> All right, let's find out what happens. He walked to the door, gave another bow, and left the room. And Jane Gladys could see that he was laughing to himself as if very much amused. When the door had closed behind the queer little man, the child sat down in the window again and glanced at the book. It had a red and yellow cover and the word thingamajigs was across the front in big letters. 
Hmm. Is this like Jumanji? I think she he <laughs> he just Jumanjied her. Oh my god, is she gonna get Jumanjied? Then she opened it curiously and saw her name written in black letters upon the first white leaf. He was a funny little man, she said to herself thoughtfully. She turned the next leaf and saw a picture of a clown. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> I hate this story. I just literally got goosebumps. She turned the next leaf and saw a big picture of a clown dressed in green and yellow and red and having a very white face with three cornered spots of red on each cheek and over the eyes. While she looked at this, the book trembled in her hands. The leaf crackled and creaked and suddenly the clown jumped out of it. Fuck no. And stood upon the floor. Nope. See? I want to leave. take things from strangers. Don't give them your name. This is like the scariest story we've ever read right here. (laughs) All the ghost stories and like aliens and murders. Like, no, this little girl's alone in a room and their fucking clown clown jumps out of a book. book. That is the fucking grudge. That is like, this is a Japanese fairy tale horror story. If if the grudge starred Pennywise, that is what (gasps) this is. We're going to have to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. For clowns. <laughs> okay, I got this. Jumped out and stood upon the floor besides her, becoming instantly as big as an ordinary clown. Mm-mm. At least it's not a tiny clown. I think that's even creepier if it was like a no, little miniature. No, because a tiny clown, you can a tiny clown, you can just kick out the window. <laughs> But then it's like a Chucky. It's like a Chucky clown. And it's like, ugh. All right. After stretching his arms and legs and yawning in a rather impolite manner, he gave a silly chuckle and said, this is better. You don't know how cramped one gets standing so long upon a page of flat paper. Yeah, it's hard to be two dimensional. I gave him a funny voice because I'm going to make him funny and not scary. Perhaps you can imagine how startled Jane Gladys was. Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) And now she stared at the clown who had just leaped out of the book. You didn't expect anything of this sort, did you? He asked, leering at her in a clown fashion. Ew! I don't think giving him a funny voice makes it better. Doesn't it makes it worse. Then he turned around to take a look at the room and Jane Gladys laughed in spite of her astonishment. What amuses you? demanded the clown. Why, the back of you is all white, cried the girl. You're only a clown in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) Quite likely, he returned in an annoyed tone. The artist made a front view of me. He wasn't expected to make a back view of me, for that was against the page of the book. 
But it makes you look so funny, said Jane Gladys, laughing until her eyes were moist with tears. The clown I'm glad looked... she's not freaked out. Yeah, thank God. The clown looked sulky and sat down upon a chair so she couldn't see his back. <laughs> I'm not the only thing in the book, he remarked crossly. This reminded her to turn another page. Don't do it. What? Close the damn book. See, she's getting jumanji It's like the reverse, though. She's not getting sucked into the game. The game is coming to her. <laughs> All right. Uh, this reminded her to turn another page, and she had scarcely noted that it contained the picture of a monkey. In a monkey! When the animal sprang from the book with a great crumpling of paper and landed upon the window seat beside her. <laughs> chattered the creature, springing to the girl's shoulder and then to the center table. This is great fun. Now I can be a real monkey instead of a picture of one. <laughs> real monkeys can't talk, said Jane Gladys reprovingly. <laughs> How do you know? Have you ever been one yourself? Inquired the animal, and then he laughed loudly. And the clown laughed too, as if he enjoyed the remark. <laughs> 100% this is a horror movie. This is a horror story. The girl was quite bewildered by this time. She thoughtlessly turned another leaf. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, I, if I was in this situation, I would be curious. I would wrap a belt around that book until I can throw it into a fire. <laughs> and burn it and then drown it and then burn it again. She thoughtlessly turned another leaf. And before she had time to look twice, a gray donkey leaped from the book and stumbled from the window seat to the floor with great clatter. You're clumsy enough, I'm sure, said the child indignantly, for the beast had nearly upset her. Clumsy? And why not, demanded the donkey with an angry voice. If the fool artist had drawn you out of perspective as he did me, I guess you'd be clumsy yourself. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, said Jane Gladys. My front and rear legs on the left side are nearly six inches too short. That's what's the matter. If that artist didn't know how to draw properly, why did he try to make a donkey at all? <laughs> See, this one, I like this guy. <laughs> this guy's funny. <laughs> I don't know, replied the child, seeing an answer was expected. I can hardly stand up, grumbled the donkey, and the least little thing will topple me over. I don't mind that, said the monkey, making a spring at the chandelier and swinging from it by its tail until Jane Gladys feared he would knock all the globes off. The same artist has made my ears as big as that clown's, and everyone knows monkeys hasn't any ears to speak of, much less to draw. <laughs> He should be prosecuted, remarked the clown gloomily. I haven't any back. <laughs> this is all of Heather's voices, everybody. Here we go. <laughs> Jane Gladys looked from one to the other with puzzled expressions upon her sweet face and turned another page of the book. Yay, more voices. <laughs> Swift as a flash, there sprang over her shoulder a tawny spotted leopard, which landed upon the back of a big leather armchair and turned upon the others with a fierce movement. 
The Uh monkey climbed on top of the chandelier and chattered with fright. The donkey tried to run and straightaway tripped over his left side. The clown grew paler than ever, but he still sat in his chair and gave a low whistle of surprise. The leopard crouched upon the back of the chair, lashing his tail from side to side and glared at all of them by turns, including Jane Gladys. Which of us are you going to attack first? said the donkey, trying hard to get his feet up again. I can't attack any of you, snarled the leopard. The artist made my mouth shut so I haven't any teeth. (laughs) And he forgot to make my claws. But I am a frightful-looking creature, nevertheless, am I not? (laughs) Oh, yes, said the clown indifferently. I suppose you're frightful-looking enough, but if you have no teeth nor claws, then we don't mind your looks at all. Leopards are pretty. This This so annoyed the leopard that he growled horribly, and the monkey laughed at him. Rude-ass monkey. Then the book slipped from the girl's lap, and as she made a movement to catch it, one of the pages near the back opened wide. She caught a glimpse of a fierce grizzly bear looking at her from the page and quickly threw the book from her. It fell with a crash in the middle of the room, but beside it stood the great grizzly, who had wretched himself from the page before the book closed. That's not awesome. No, cried the leopard from his perch. You'd better look out for yourselves. You can't laugh at him as you did at me. The bear has both claws and teeth. Indeed I have, said the bear in a low, deep, growling voice. And I know how to use them, too. If you read in that book, you'll find I'm described as a horrible, cruel, and remorseless grizzly whose only business in life is to eat up little girls. Shoes, dresses, ribbons, and all. And and then the author says I smack my lips in glory in my wickedness. What a mean bear. And the author's an asshole. What a mean, what a fucked up author. Yeah, this author needs to be burned. I think it was that fucker who came into her house. That's awful, said the donkey, sitting upon his haunches and shaking his head sadly. What do you suppose possessed the author to make you so hungry for little girls? Do you eat animals also? The author did not mention me eating anything but little girls, replied the bear. It's not a very balanced diet. No. (laughs) Very good, remarked the clown, drawing in a large breath of relief. (laughs) You may begin eating Jane Gladys as soon as you wish. She laughed because I have no back. And... She laughed because my legs are out of perspective, brayed the donkey. But you'd also don't deserve to be eaten, screamed the leopard from the back of the leather chair, for you laughed and poked fun at me because I have no claws or teeth. Don't you suppose, Mr. Grizzly, you could manage to eat a clown, a donkey, a monkey after you finish the girl? Perhaps, 
torso and a leopard into the bargain, growled the bear. <laughs> it will depend on how hungry I am, but I must begin on the little girl first because the author says I prefer girls to anything. <laughs> This is ridiculous. I love it. Jane Gladys was much frightened on hearing this conversation. She began to realize what the man meant when he said he gave her the book to be revenged. Surely Papa would be sorry he hadn't bought the complete works of Peter Smith when he came home and found his little girl eaten up by a grizzly bear, shoes, dress, ribbons, and all. The bear stood up and balanced himself on his rear legs. This is the way I look in the book, he said. Now watch me eat the little girl. (laughs) He advanced slowly toward Jane Gladys, and the monkey, the leopard, the donkey, and the clown all stood around in a circle and watched the bear with much interest. But before the grizzly reached her, the child had a sudden thought and cried out, Stop! You mustn't eat me! It would be wrong! "'Why?' asked the bear in surprise. "'Because I own you. You're my private property,' she answered. "'I don't see how you make that out,' said the bear in a disappointed tone. "'Why, the book was given to me. My name's on the front leaf, and you belong by rights in the book. So you mustn't dare to eat your owner.' The grizzly hesitated. Can any of you read? He asked. I can, said the clown. Then see if she speaks truth. Is her name really in the book? The clown picked it up and looked at the name. It is, he said, Jane Gladys Brown, and written quite plainly in big letters. The bear sighed. Then, of course, I can't eat her, he decided. The author is as disappointing as most authors are. (laughs) Attaboy, Lyman. Slide in some literary criticism. (laughs) But he's not as bad as the artist, exclaimed the donkey, who was still trying to stand straight. The fault lies with yourself, said Jane Gladys severely. Why didn't you stay in the book where you were put? The animals looked at each other in a foolish way, and the clown blushed under his white paint. Really? began the bear, but then he stopped short. The bell rang loudly. It's Mama, cried Jane Gladys, springing to her feet. She'll come home at last. Now, you stupid creatures. But she was interrupted by all of them making a rush for the book. There was a swish and a whirl and a rustling of leaves, and an instant later the book lie upon the floor looking just like any other book, while Jane Gladys' strange companions had all disappeared. This story should teach us to think quickly and clearly upon all occasions, for had Jane Gladys not remembered that she owned the bear, he probably would have eaten her before the bell rang. (laughs) All right, so always tell a bear that you own them. I guess uh, I have to I have to uh, retract my previous statement. The moral of that story is always tell strangers your name. Yeah, I guess like. Okay, that was delightful. I I love how smart 
the kids are in his writing. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's Dorothy. I mean, Dorothy's a child, but like, um, he just writes these like brilliant children and like their innocence and like, so they can see things so clearly. So today we learned, um, to make, sh- to check if you have a genie in your bed yeah. and to, um, make sure you tell the pictures in your books to stay in the books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and or stranger danger. The, the, um, the morals that I took from this story were make sure you bang really hard on the headboard <laughs> and always tell strangers your name. <laughs> Campfire classics. <laughs> Moral lessons for have, your, your young people. Good advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moral lessons for children. <laughs> All right. Well, that was delightful. That was a, uh, that was delightful morning energy for me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. That was uh, The Bomb 2.0. The Bomb. We just dropped The Bomb 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Uh, What is our secret phrase this week, my darling? Desecration yoga. Desecration yoga. Yes. So, dear listeners, if you're not familiar with this, now that you have made it this far into the episode, thank you, by the way, for continuing to listen all the way to the end. Uh... Please shoot us a message on uh, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. And when you do, please either use as a subject or somewhere in the body of the email the phrase desecration yoga to let us know you made it this far. And it'll make us laugh and we will love you for it and we'll while respond. You're, and- while you're at it, please tell us what your favorite desecration yoga pose is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with happy baby cuz like that's I've been changing a baby's diaper when it decided to do some desecration yoga. Yeah. <laughs> boom boom pow. <laughs> uh and on that note, <laughs> I think so follow us on the Twitters, the Facebooks, the email us 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. We have a we have a website at campfireclassicspodcast.com. We love when you reach out as we have uh, we have read some of our audience responses on the podcast. So yep. if you write in, we might read you out loud and, uh, and we love to interact with all of you. And go check out Tattooed Squid and uh, A, let him know that you came from Campfire Classics and B, let him know that you would love to hear Campfire Classics uh, on Tattooed Squid. Yeah. So awesome. That is a fun. So that was our first uh, remote episode. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how it ends up sounding. Yeah, me too. Because we both got our microphones in our own spaces. And now I get to go edit it and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I hope it's so easy. I hope it's just like drag and pull. <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's super easy. Yeah. Um it's possible that I will be up very late tonight though. Well, you have tomorrow off, I guess. So I You're... do, but the episode drops at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Yes, it does. But I'm saying like you can take naps tomorrow if yeah. you need to. And yeah. But yep. we got it done. We got, got it, done. it done. It's in the can. <laughs> uh so um once again, thank you so much for joining us. 
Until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Grr, I'm a bear, and I'm gonna eat ya. No, I'm not. I'm gonna get back in my book. <laughs>